chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. The first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these are wonderful books, a wonderful part of Scripture. I say this because there is a great danger, isn't there, that we just could treat this part of Scripture as if it's just ancient history and it has nothing to teach Christians in 2022. But if we think like that, friends, we rob ourselves of the riches, of the blessings that are contained in these books. And these first five books, especially from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there are are pictures, pictures of who God is, and pictures of His grace, His mercy, and His love toward us, his people, those whom he has redeemed, those he has saved. And when you were young, didn't you have picture books? And you open up that book and you see the picture of what is being described in that book. And you say, ah, that is what is being described in this. These pictures that we see in the first five books of Moses They are vivid, full of color, and they are there to help us to understand what God has done for us. This is not just for Old Testament saints. This is just as much for us today. So as we're reading through Exodus, we're going to read through Exodus 13 verses 1 to 16. Let us think about what it's teaching us about God. And let us also think about what it's teaching us about God. His gospel. Exodus 13, verses 1 to 16, let us hear God's word. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, For by strength the hand of the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep his service In this month, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me. When I came up from Egypt, it shall be as a sign for you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, 
The Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from the animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when the sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to them, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all males that opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand. And as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. When we tell the world we are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, or we simply tell them we go to church, and we may point out the church that we attend They expect more, don't they? Even unbelievers, even people who know little or nothing about the Christian faith, they expect something from us. They expect us to be different in some way. And if we're not, it often shocks people, doesn't it? Many sinners will love if we act like the world. They'll say, wow, you're so like us. But there's, there are others, when they see a Christian or a professing Christian act like the world, they'll think, ah, I knew it. And they'll think, hypocrisy. I came to know the Lord 13 years ago. I was crying out to the Lord It was March of 2009 when he saved my soul. Up until that point, I thought Christians were those with high lofty ideals, but they never followed it themselves, but it was merely for other people to hear. Now, I've since seen that that is not true. None of us are perfect, of course. But all those who are born again of the Spirit of God seek To follow God. Imperfectly, but we seek to follow God. The world expects us to be different, don't they? They expect something different from anything else. We are to be a holy people for a holy God. And even the wider world knows that. And they may have a distorted view of who Jesus is. But they still expect us. To be like him. Our lives are to point towards Jesus. 
Our deeds, our actions are to point towards Jesus. And this, this morning, may seem very obvious. You say, well, of course. Of course this is the case. But sadly, friends, across this province, across a part of the world that the Lord has richly blessed over many years, this is being challenged. There are many who will say they're Christians, but their lives deny that they are Christian. The world is watching. And more importantly, God is watching. God knows us at all times. To live a holy life is really to express who we are, our identity, who we claim to follow. To not live holy lives is to deny who we claim to be. So let us see in this text how we can learn about living a holy life. What picture of the gospel is being given to us by Moses, by God? What, what does it mean for those saved and redeemed? The first point we're going to look at here, the Sabbath day, is number one, holy firstborn. Holy firstborn. Verses one and two. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. It is mine. Consecrate, or another way of saying that word consecrate is set apart or make holy. In Hebrew, it's the word kadosh, holy. And these were to belong to God, the firstborn. Why? This is just after the tenth plague that hits Egypt. And the tenth plague is when there was judgment upon the firstborn of every household, of all the animals across Egypt. It tells us in the previous chapter, in Exodus 12, verse 29, it says this, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So there was judgment upon the firstborn, all the firstborn except for the firstborn of God's people. They were delivered. They were saved. And they were redeemed. They were passed over. It says in verse 23 of Exodus 12, verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. What is so special about the firstborn being pointed out here? What is so special? And in today's society, it may not strike us as particularly important, but in the ancient world, and for a long time, even up until recent times, Uh, to be the firstborn, the eldest son or whatever the case may be, was a place of tremendous privilege. 
you are the heir. You are the successor of your father's legacy. We would even see at recent times, you know, the, the, the eldest would often get the farm or something like that. The firstborn of the father was considered the highest rank after the father. In those days, there were often men had many wives. And right after that, the highest in rank and position, the successor, the heir, was the firstborn. So the firstborn placed before us, that successor, that heir of that legacy. God is saying, mine. Mine. If we remember Abraham and Isaac, his firstborn, his heir, his only begotten son. And God asked Abraham, To sacrifice his only begotten son. He also said, mine, mine. But there was also, we also have to look at, a difference between the firstborn being redeemed. The firstborn who were redeemed and passed over. The destroyer in Egypt was coming for all, for all, not under the blood of the Lamb. That Passover lamb. That blood that was put on the doorposts. Either side and over. Only those under the blood were delivered, redeemed. This morning. You here this morning. Have you been delivered? Redeemed by the blood Of the Passover lamb. Which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the lamb of God. That taketh away the sin. Of the world. John the Baptist was speaking of Jesus himself. The lamb came. In the New Testament. But have you. Been delivered by the lamb. What happens when the destroyer comes? Have you been redeemed? And if you have, the Lord says to you here this morning, mine. It is mine. We as redeemed belong to God. We as redeemed no longer live to ourselves live to our own will and desires, we belong to God in a very special way. Of course, everything belongs to God, doesn't it? Every blade of grass, every tree, everything belongs to God. But in a very special way, God is pointing out these firstborn, it is mine, and in a very special way. We also belong to God in a very special way, set apart. And he has made us, he has created us, he's made us in the image of God. We have sinned. And all the suffering in this world comes from the sin of men in rebellion against him. And we are all just as guilty as these Egyptians judged at that time. We're all just as guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is only by God's mercy and by that blood 
will the destroyer pass over any of us. We owe him everything. And what happens for those who have not been redeemed by the Lamb? There's another picture given in verses 12 and 13 of this chapter. Verses 12 and 13 of Exodus 13. Verse 12, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from the animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. Verse 13, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. You might say, well, what, what does that have to do with any of us today? But look at the next verse. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. What happens for those not purchased by the lamb's blood? For that, those not under and trusting in the blood of the Lamb of God. Death. Judgment. And it was to be a frontlet to their eyes. It was to be a constant reminder. The gospel needs to be something that we constantly remind ourselves of. Only those trusting in Jesus Christ will be delivered. Not those who come to a building on a Sabbath day. We praise God for everyone here. But this will not save anyone. It is faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Anyone else? The wages of sin is death. This is what this picture is telling us. Number two now. Holy freedom. Holy freedom. So we've looked at holy firstborn, now holy freedom. Verses 3 and 4 of Exodus 13. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you were, you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month, Abib, out of the house of bondage. So if we are his, if we belong to him, if we are his, and he says mine, we have necessarily left something behind. There's something we leave behind. There's a danger thinking we can just have all our idols and we just add Jesus as an extra idol to all those. No, no, we, by following Christ, we leave something behind. And what have they left behind? On their journey, they have left behind the house of bondage, the house of slavery, the house of suffering, the house of a cruel taskmaster. Now, they were delivered from physical Egypt. From physical Egypt, where they were treated cruelly. But we Christians, every single one of us who have been redeemed with the blood of the Lamb, we have been delivered from spiritual Egypt. Every single one of us, from the house of bondage, from that house of suffering. Because sin is the cruelest of all taskmasters. Far worse than Pharaoh. Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Until we have been redeemed. Until we have been set free from from spiritual Egypt. We are slaves. We are in bondage. We are under a cruel taskmaster. And we are slaves of sin. But what happens to a slave when he's been released? He's free. Free. Freedom is a wonderful thing. If you have not known what that has been like before. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And because of that, we are free. We are free. But what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this knowledge? You see, the devil either wants you to abuse this knowledge of your freedom. I can just live any way I want to. Or he doesn't want you to know it at all. To express this freedom, this holy freedom, is to live holy lives. It means to grow in holiness and to set apart more and more our life to him. To to further distance ourselves from spiritual Egypt. We, 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 we take a journey, don't we? we? We walk through that wilderness on the way to our heavenly home in Canaan. But our distance grows from our past lives. Our distance is to grow from spiritual Egypt. Embracing who we are in Christ so that as we get closer to it, as we take one foot in front of another, as we taste more of the blessings of heaven, We long, don't we, to be in heaven itself, where there is no sin, where there is the ultimate freedom. And with with that, we'd have to ask ourselves, why would we want to go back at all? Why would we desire to go back, knowing our freedom? Now, we, we struggle, don't we? Romans 7, Paul even struggled with this. It would be difficult to find someone in the New Testament as godly as Paul, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Romans chapter 7, there's this struggle that takes place between the old man and the new man. That which I will to do, I do not. But we can be traveling on this wilderness, weary, tired, Book of Numbers talks a lot about their, their journey from leaving behind Egypt on the way towards Canaan. But they're weary, tired. What is the, the temptation of us? As we're weary and tired on our journey, it's to complain, isn't it? To forget about the blessings of the Canaan to come and to forget the blessings of what we've been set free from. And that was a trap that God's people fell into. Our freedom is something we must never forget. It is a deliverance and a holy freedom that gives us a holy appetite for new things. And other things we do not like anymore. Do you have an appetite for holiness here this morning? Number three now, we're going to talk about holy food. Holy food. So we've looked at holy firstborn, holy freedom. Now number three, we're going to look at holy food. 
So if we've been changed, we've been set free, uh, our appetite will be different. Verses 6 and 7. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. With this change comes a hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. And they're hungering and thirsting for Christ's righteousness. Holy food. If we look at the bread here, this unleavened bread, this feast of unleavened bread, which they were to observe. Why unleavened? Why no leaven in the bread? Or, or yeast would be another way of understanding it today. What is the picture of leaven in the Bible? Now, leaven in the Bible is usually sin. It's usually in reference to sin. It is something that gets in the midst of bread and it spreads. There are other times when it's not referring to sin. It can refer to the Pharisees' doctrine. Or it can even once refer to as the kingdom of God. But usually it's in reference to sin. It is something that gets in there and it spreads. This is what the the contaminating effect of sin is. It says in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5.8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We are to feed on this holy food. We are to, in this freedom, embrace and feed upon something new, and something that didn't satisfy us before, but now does. Now does. Food that is truth. Food that is sincerity. Food that is without sin. It is great food. It is not contaminated. And again, this is all a picture. This is a picture to keep reminding God's people as they've been set free, don't go back to your old ways. It was something to be set as a constant reminder before them. And this is why they were to keep these feasts, to remind them over and over again of the love of God and his gospel. And if you are here this morning and you love God with a hunger for the things of God, you may be asking yourself, well, how can I feed more upon this holy food, this spiritual heavenly food? Now, the food we're referring to is the food that the Good Shepherd leads us to. The Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, verse 1. But then it says in Psalm 23, verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures, where there's plenteous food. Wherever He leads, there is food. Christ brings us this good food through His guidance. So we have to be open, don't we? As sheep, following the shepherd and loving the voice of our shepherd, 
If you want food, we need to follow the shepherd. We feed on his word, don't we? The sound of his voice is sweet to us. It's wonderful to us. Just as the shepherd's voice is sweet and wonderful to his sheep. And also, you feed with holy food as well in the sermons. And no doubt, there will be fallible men who are mere dust here in this pulpit. Sinners. Representing the great truths of a holy God. But at the same time, we are to receive it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. So Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. The word of God. It says in John 6.27, Jesus said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because, the, the, because God the Father has set his seal on him. There's food that perishes. There's, you open your press, there's a loaf of bread. There are other things we labor hard from. These all will perish. Labor not for that. Labor primarily for that which is endures unto life eternal. There is holy food here in Christ. There is holy food for those weary. Remember they were traveling from Egypt on the way to Canaan. And he sent them on their weary journey Manna from heaven. Bread from heaven. To sustain them. To keep them going. Miraculous food. Jesus said this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. And we are nourished by him. And his finished work. We are nourished by Christ himself. He is that bread of life. Uh, the manna in heaven, or the manna from heaven in the wilderness, that perished itself. It was a picture of how God sustains us. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He is that bread. Without blemish and without spot. He is that bread. And friends... Do you have an appetite for that bread? Do you have an appetite for the bread which feeds our souls and takes us away from sin? Or do we find it uninteresting? If you went to a doctor and the doctor asked you, how's your appetite? And you said, it's bad. Would you think, oh, that's perfectly normal. Keep going. Even as believers in Jesus Christ, our appetite can wane. Our appetite can go down. Before we know it, we're spending less and less time in the word of God. And do you ever notice when you do that, you, you hunger less for the things of God. You suffer. Because just as if you didn't have your breakfast in the morning, you suffer throughout the day. Don't let the devil keep you away from the word of God. Feed. You need your spiritual food. You need food to continue the journey and it is more important than any other food you will put in your body on any day number four holy fruit holy fruit 
verses 8 and 14. Verses 8 and 14 of Exodus 13. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. The whole idea is they're doing this. They're having this feast of unleavened bread. And then they're telling the next generation, here's why we're doing this. Then in verse 14, so shall be when your son asks you in time to come. Eventually, People ask, saying, what is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Holy fruit. If you've worked, had a hard day of work, and you haven't eaten, you're really hungry, what happens to the work The work will suffer. The work will suffer. But you've eaten a good lunch. You've had refreshment. You've you've drank water. And what happens? Even your outward appearance changes, doesn't it? Joy. In our text here, children notice the difference. And they'll ask, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Our heart and our mind are important. Yes, we need to feed our heart and our mind. But we also need to be doers of the word. Our outward behavior must change. and must be seen to change as we live holy lives. And then there's evident fruit. If you look at a tree and you examine it, you see apples. It's an apple tree. If you see lemons, it's a lemon tree. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Evident fruit. And then people will ask you, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you going to church on the Sabbath day? Why, are, why is your business closed on the Sabbath day? Why, how come you won't come and watch the final, the sports final on the Sabbath day? Here's an opportunity to tell them why. Because of my Redeemer, my Savior, whom I love. Our work must point towards Christ. I know a dear Christian lady, and she visited a neighbor of hers recently. And this neighbor, who was not a believer, had lost a very close loved one. And he was, he was suffering, he was lonely. And she brought him some leftover food. And that meant so much to this man. And he asked, not a believer, why are you doing this? She pointed out to him that she was a Christian. She sought to follow Christ and to show the love of Christ. And that gesture really touched the man and the rest of his family. What we do when the time comes must point towards Christ. Must point towards Christ. And in keeping this feast, the family's going to see, your children will see what you love. Daddy, why do you read the Bible in the morning? Mommy, why do you do this? People see and they ask questions. But unless there's evident fruit, there's not going to be any questions. 
if we're looking towards Jesus Christ, who is the source of all this holy fruit. He is the root. He is that root in the ground. And the fruit is a holy life. There's also, our final point, a holy future. A holy future. And I hope, friends, you are excited to hear of the holy things. Not just in this life. Yes, we should love holiness in this life. But there's going to be a holy future. A holy future. Verses 5. Verse 5 says this. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. And also verse 11, verse 11 of the same chapter. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you. There's a wonderful Canaan ahead for them. He's promising them a place of rest and a place of joy, a place of abundance, and a place of plenty. A land of milk and honey. And this is an earthly picture of our heavenly home, our heavenly Canaan. And when we arrive there there will be no enemies to face no enemies of the Lord will be left no enemies of God will be allowed to enter in this is a place of peace a place of joy a place of rest God would deliver them to their place of rest And do you ever notice this as well when you're reading through the scriptures? In the midst of the defeat of the enemies of God, God brings deliverance and redemption to his people. In this salvation, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 is seen to crush the seed of the serpent. Victory over the enemies. And in that place... Of ultimate victory. There is a place of rest. Joshua 21 verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land. Which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it. And dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest. All around. According to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of their enemies. Stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies. Into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All came to pass. And friends, every promise that God has made, and there are thousands of them for the believer, all will come to pass. There's a holy future ahead. Are you weary of sin in this world? then there's the wonderful rest ahead. There's a joy ahead. You are weary. You're exhausted. You you look at the news and you're thinking, seriously, is this going on now? We can be weary on our journey. But we need food. And we, we need sustenance. But 
There's a wonderful future ahead. This is not the way it's always going to be. We may be tempted to think like that at times. But it's not going to always be like this. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then in verse 4 of Revelation 21, And the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. In the presence of the Lord there will be perfect holiness. The enemies of God will not be there because there's perfect holiness. But we will be there ourselves because we've been clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness and we have been washed clean so that we ourselves can come spotless before the throne of grace. There's a wonderful holy future for believers in Jesus Christ. And this morning as we finish, are you his? As you read through the scriptures and he speaks to your soul. As, as the word of God stirs up in your hearts. Does it cry, Abba, Father. That Jesus has said to your heart here this morning, mine. And you say, I am his. He is my beloved and I am his. You have turned from sin to follow Christ. You have left behind the leaven. You have left behind spiritual Egypt. And you are heading on your journey toward heavenly Canaan. A journey you will make, not because of your own strength, but because of Jesus Christ. To live a holy life. None of us are perfect. We we talk about holiness here. We fall short of the glory of God, even as saints in Christ. However, our lives reflect what we believe. Perhaps you've discovered through the preaching of this, you're saying, am I a Christian at all? Come to him. You may well be a Christian who's struggling with assurance. Tormented. But come to him, forsaking whatever sin is making you either doubt your salvation or is keeping you back from coming to Christ at all in the first place. Whatever the the reason The solution is the same, forsaking sin and running to Christ. Look forward, dear Christian, to the future. We should be the most optimistic people upon the face of the earth by a million miles because of what we have to look forward to. You may be here this, this morning and think, my best days are behind me. I'm old. I have nothing to look forward to. That is not true. Your best days as a believer are yet to come. You haven't but tasted of the glories to come. We have only seen a tiny fraction of it here in this world. No, no, friend. The best is truly yet to come. Amen.